Hey, if you're joining us online, uh, we're glad you're with us as well. If it's your first time with us today, welcome. We're honored you're here. We did just kick off this series last week called Right Now, and uh, so you picked a great day to join us if you are new. Um, I'm gonna get to that in just a minute. Excited to share with you, but before I get to that, um, I've kind of got like a little mini sermon before the sermon, and so uh, you get to hear two sermons today. Hold your applause. I know that really fires you up, right? But uh, I wanted to take a minute up top and talk about something because it's MLK weekend, and uh, I just wanna talk about that for a minute because Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is uh, one of my heroes. If you're new to our church, I'm new to our church too. My family and I moved here in June, and so we're all still kind of getting to know each other. So I was born in a small town in South Georgia. Uh, we moved to the metro Atlanta area when I was about four years old, and so that was kind of my experience uh, growing up, I didn't realize growing up in Georgia that that was called the Deep South until I moved to other parts of the country. And uh, they told me, oh, you grew up in the Deep South. I just thought I was growing up in Georgia. Unfortunately, growing up in Georgia, while it's a wonderful place, um, it's also a place where racism was a very real thing that I saw kind of up close and personal. Now, I didn't see it up close and personal because it affected me. Um, I saw it up close and personal because it was affecting my friends who didn't look like me. And that was a difficult thing for me to try to figure out because in our home, and I'm really grateful for this, uh, our parents raised us to recognize that equality and freedom and everybody getting to experience that was actually a gospel issue. That it wasn't a political issue, that it wasn't a social issue, that part of being a Christ follower, part of being the family of God, is that we actually advocate for those who may not necessarily uh, be experiencing the same level of freedom that, that we have. And so, you know, I, I grew up playing sports and I was friends with a lot of guys that didn't look like me. And, you know, I was typically the white guy at the end of the bench cheering for everybody else. That was kind of my role, okay? <laughs> and, um, and I was fine with that. But, but I saw, again, people experiencing things that, that weren't part of my experience. And about the time I turned 14, I think about 14 years old, I realized that, that Dr. King was somebody who, as a pastor, God had used him to, to be a voice to really bring about a lot of amazing things, and that we still had some work to do, but he was someone who I really began to study and, and try to learn about, and so when I got to college, I tried to make it a point to go to some specific places, and, and so I went to you know, Dexter Avenue, uh, Baptist Church, now Dexter Avenue, King Memorial Baptist Church in Montgomery, Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. I've walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma and been to the street, uh, the church in Birmingham where the bombing took place. And I haven't yet made it to Memphis. I've uh, been to the King Center many times in Atlanta, which if you've never been, I would highly encourage you uh, to go there. And then uh, was fortunate enough to spend the last five years, the last five MLK weekends uh, pastoring a church in Montgomery, Alabama. And so that was a pretty special thing uh, to get to live there and to get to meet with some of the individuals who had marched with uh, Dr. King to sit in some of the pews where the bus boycott um, meetings had taken place to see the Rosa Parks statue there in Montgomery. And uh, every year about this time, um, I revisit my favorite writing from Dr. King, which is Letter from a Birmingham Jail. I'm gonna read an excerpt from that here in just a minute. But if you've never read it, let me encourage you this week to do so. Um, in my opinion, it's the finest piece of literature written in the 20th century, and the context of it is fairly remarkable, and it's a context that I think speaks to us today as God's people, as those who would claim to be uh, members of his church. Um, he went to Birmingham 
on invitation, uh, re responding to an invitation to be there, and um, was arrested and, and put into prison. And then the white clergy kind of unified together, and the next day they issued a statement uh, basically telling Dr. King he needed to go home and he needed to be patient, that he needed to wait. And um, Dr. King took the opportunity to respond specifically uh, to their claim. And, and it's, it's very long. In fact, um, at the end of it, he, he kind of um, almost pokes fun at himself uh, by saying, like, I'm, I'm summarizing here, I'm sorry this is so long, but I'm in jail. You know, it's like, well, what else am I gonna do? And it's really remarkable when you read it, like, he, ha he had no books, had no encyclopedias, he had no Google, he had a smartphone. Like, he recalled all of this from mind and penned this amazing letter. And there's a part of it that I'm gonna read here where he specifically singles out and speaks to churches. And what he says, I feel like, is just as pertinent and relevant today as when he first, first wrote it in April of 1963. And so I just thought we could take a minute and maybe uh, revisit some of these words that Dr. King wrote specifically to churches as we continue to move forward and really the vision that he cast for what it looks like for everyone to experience equality and freedom in our nation. So here's what he says, speaking to churches. But despite a few notable exceptions, I must honestly reiterate that I have been disappointed with the church. I do not say that as one of those negative critics who can always find something wrong with the church. I say it as a minister of the gospel who loves the church, who is nurtured in its bosom, who has been sustained by its spiritual blessings, and who will remain true to it as long as the court of life shall lengthen. I had the strange feeling when I was suddenly catapulted into the leadership of the bus, prote bus protest in Montgomery several years ago that we would have the support of the white church. I felt that the white ministers, priests, and rabbis of the South would be some of our strongest allies. Instead, some few have been outright opponents, refusing to understand the freedom movement and misrepresenting its leaders. All too many others have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. In spite of my shattered dreams of the past, I came to Birmingham with the hope that the white religious leadership of this community would see the justice of our cause and with deep moral concern serve as the channel through which our just grievances could get to the power structure. I had hoped that each of you would understand, but again, I have been disappointed. I have watched white churches stand on the sidelines and merely mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I've heard so many ministers say those are social issues which the gospel has nothing to do with. And I've watched so many churches commit themselves to completely otherworldly religion which made a strange distinction between bodies and souls, the sacred and the secular. There was a time when the church was very powerful. It was during that period that the early Christians rejoiced when they were deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was the thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Wherever the early Christians entered a town, the power structure got disturbed and immediately sought to convict them for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But they went on with the conviction that they were a colony of heaven and had to obey God rather than man. They were small in number, but big in commitment. They were too God intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. They brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest. Things are different now. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. It is so often the arch supporter of the status quo. 
Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th, and might I add, 21st century. I meet young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. I hope that the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour. But even if the church does not come to the aid of justice, I have no despair about the future. I have no fear about the outcome of our struggle in Birmingham, even if our motives are presently misunderstood. We will reach the goal of freedom in Birmingham and all over the nation because the goal of America is freedom. Abused and scorned though we may be, our destiny is tied up with the destiny of America. Before the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before the pen of Jefferson scratched across the pages of history, the majestic word of the Declaration of Independence, we were here. For more than two centuries, our foreparents labored here without wages. They made cotton king and they built the homes of their masters in the midst of brutal injustice and shameful humiliation. And yet out of a bottomless vitality, our people continue to thrive and develop. If the inexpressible cruelties of slavery could not stop us, the opposition we now face, the opposition we now face will surely fail. We will win our freedom because the sacred heritage of our nation and the eternal will of God are embodied in our echoing demands. The words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I just think it's a good reminder. Um, that in many ways, God's people are supposed to lead the way. And we talked last week about generational diversity, and I love that about our church. And we also have racial diversity in our church, and I love that about our church. But I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we can begin to think that whatever our experience has been is what everybody's experience has been. And sometimes it's good to just sit down with someone who doesn't look like you, who doesn't have the same life experience as you, and just be quiet and listen. You know, Colossians tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens. And so if anyone in our church family has carried the burden of inequality or injustice or in some way being treated differently simply because of the color of their skin, then that's actually a burden that all of us have been called to bear. And again, yeah, you can cheer for that. Because the church has been quiet and silent on these things, there have been other avenues of our culture that have spoken up, which is then why sometimes when guys like me speak up, people say, well, that's a social issue or that's a political issue. It's not. It's a gospel issue. And we have to reclaim it as such, and we have to move forward together as God's people. And I just want to challenge us as a church family Similar to last week's challenge, as I said, hey, find somebody that's in a different generation than you. You know, find somebody who looks different than you this year. Sit down, listen, get to know them. One of the things I'm grateful for, the heritage of our church has been that we stay unified. And that we're a place where everybody feels welcome. We're not a perfect church. We've never been a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church because they're all filled 
with people. But as we continue to move forward together into the future, I really believe that can continue to be one of the greatest testimonies that we have as a church. And so I just appreciate the opportunity to speak to that a little bit this morning and then hopefully revisit that from time to time as we feel the Holy Spirit lead. So thank you. And uh, if you haven't read Letter from a Birmingham Jail, I wanna encourage you to read that this week. Sit down with your kids, read it, talk about it. There's still a lot of work to be done, but I'm hopeful by God's grace that we can continue to move forward and uh, really see true equality and true freedom happen for everyone, okay? So thank you for giving me that opportunity today. I appreciate it. So let me jump into right now. Again, if you're just jumping in with us today, we are in the middle of a special offering. I'm gonna talk a little bit more specifically about that next week. Five ministry initiatives for this new year, and each week in January, I'm talking about one of those initiatives and speaking to it biblically, uh, why this matters to us so much. Let me give you the initiative that we're gonna talk about today. Again, if you call a New Hope home, you've heard this already, but we believe that God wants us right now to continue with upgrades in our technology so that we can steward well the worship songs that God has entrusted us with. So back in October, we had a night of worship. We've got another one coming up next week, but we had this one in October, and some songs, uh, we worshiped together with some songs that were written by our worship team, and uh, we believe that God wants us to steward these songs well beyond just the ministry at New Hope Church, and that really kind of started officially uh, this past week with Walking in the Light being released. Have you got Walking in the Light yet? I hope so. It's on iTunes, all right? It's on iTunes and Spotify, and I don't know the rest of them, right? So it's on all of those. Not good with technology. The YouTube video is out. You can watch that as well. But if you haven't downloaded that and shared it with all your friends yet, I want you to do so. And we got a lot of awesome things happening when it comes to what God's doing in our worship ministry. But what I wanted to do today was just take an opportunity to really talk about worship and why it matters so much from God's word. And so the title of today's message is Worship's Starting Point. Now, we will do an entire series on worship at some point in the future. Before today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna take one verse and we're gonna let that one verse really guide us on why worship matters so much. So let me read the verse and then we'll talk about how we're gonna kind of move through our time together today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through him then, and him is Jesus, so through him, Jesus, then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips praising his name. So there's five parts to this verse, and we're gonna move through them one at a time, and each part's gonna have a corresponding application. So if you wanna take some notes today, that's how that'll work. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter nine. If you don't, we'll put all the verses up here for you. But the one verse is from Hebrews 13, but we're gonna then reference some larger passage from Hebrews chapter nine. And so the way we're gonna work our way through this verse, and we're gonna do it so many times, I'm gonna literally reread this verse five times. You might even have it memorized by the time we leave together. That'd be cool. Is each time we focus on a different part of the verse, you'll notice the part we're focusing on because it's gonna be in all capital letters, all right? So let's start moving our way through this, kind of one phrase at a time. So the verse says, through him then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. And the first phrase I want us to focus on is to God. So if you're taking notes, the first application is worship's starting point is God. Now, you didn't have to come to church to hear somebody tell you that, okay? Like, really? 
That's why I'm here for you to tell me at church that worship's starting point is God. I kind of already had that one figured out. And most people would say, yeah, I get it. When we talk about worship, aren't we talking about God? But see, here's the thing. If we aren't careful, we can make worship's starting point ourselves. Not in the sense that we worship ourselves, but in the sense where we kind of do something like this. As long as everything in my life is going well, I'll worship God. If God's answering my prayers the way I want him to, I'll worship God. If I'm not facing any hardship or heartache, I'll worship God. If everybody's treating me the way that I deserve to be treated, I'll worship God. And see, what we begin to do over time is run our worship of God through the filter of how we're actually doing. That's not worship at all. See, what that is is making worship starting point ourselves, and we all do it. We all do it. Every one of us, in a moment of honesty, and might I remind you, you are in church, in a moment of honesty, don't lie in church, okay? We like to put ourselves at the center of the equation. And what begins to happen is we run our worship through that filter, which then results in not worshiping God, but worshiping the state of how our life is going. For many of us, worship then just becomes an opportunity to reflect that emotion, so when things are going well, we're all about worshiping. When things aren't going well, we're not. It's subtle, it can happen, but see, here's the problem with that. It robs us of the joy of our salvation. See, Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time and place for everything. There's a time for mourning, there's a time for weeping. Life isn't always going to be great, but see, it's when we get to a place where we choose to worship in the midst of our weeping. We worship in the midst of our mourning, that our circumstances don't dictate whether or not we worship, that God is worthy of our worship, period. See, some of us love to worship God for what he gives, and we've missed out on the joy of worshiping God for who he is. See, God's worthy of our worship, church. God's worthy of our worship without any disclaimer, without any Qualifier, if God never did anything for you again, he's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your worship. So we gotta start there. That our reason for responding in worship, quite simply, is for who God is. But let's get back to our verse. Let's focus on another part of it. It says, through him then, again, Jesus, that's him. Through Jesus then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So this word then carries with it the connotation that there was actually some things going on beforehand. So it hasn't always been the case that we could continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. It was because of what Jesus did. Something happened. There was a reason. There was a cause. And now things are a little different. And we've got to see that to fully appreciate and recognize what this verse is saying. So jot down the application and we'll talk about it. You see, before Jesus' sacrifice, offering a sacrifice of praise was actually work. It says, through him then. So Jesus did something. He accomplished something. He made a way possible that previously was not possible. And worship and offering a sacrifice of praise in the Old Testament required a lot of work. Now, Hebrews is the book in the Bible that in the New Testament also teaches us about the 
Old Testament. So let's go to Hebrews chapter nine. It's a lot of verses. It's a lot of description. It's a lot of work. Hang with me. We'll get through it. Listen to these five verses. Now, even the first covenant, so now we're in the Old Testament, had regulations for divine worship in the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was equipped, the outer sanctuary, in which were the lampstand, the table, and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle, which was the most holy place, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, Aaron's staff, which had budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the atoning cover. But about these things, we cannot now speak in detail. There's a reason. We're in the New Testament. We're in the first century. This is a tabernacle described from when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Eventually, a temple was constructed by Solomon that was later destroyed and had to be rebuilt at the end of the Old Testament. So the author of Hebrews is saying, I don't know all the details here. I can't speak to everything in detail because this was so long ago. But I want you to see a little bit of the progression that he's walking us through when it comes to the tabernacle. So I brought a diagram to kind of share. And if you can see that from where you're seated, there's three places, the court, the holy place, the holy of holies. There's lots of different ways you work your way through this, ultimately to the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, the same one that Indiana Jones was after. That's what we're talking about here, okay? Make sure we're all on the same page. But see, you couldn't just get to the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, this word entrance down here is a little misleading because not everybody could even enter. There was a whole rhythm to this. There was a whole pattern to this. Only certain people could even enter. And then once those certain people entered, they were then the only ones who could actually then offer up a sacrifice of praise. See, there were priests and there were high priests and they had special rights and they had special privileges. And I want you just for a second to, to recognize something, that there were people at this time who genuinely loved God and they couldn't offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Like if you get in a time machine and go back in time and visit them and tell them, oh yeah, we get to offer our sacrifice of praise to God all the time. They would look at you like you were very strange. See, the world they lived in allowed for certain people from family pedigree or a particular last name to get to go to a place where God's presence was that they couldn't enter. That's how it was. There was a lot of work. There was a lot of stipulations. There were a lot of regulations. And certain people could do things that others couldn't. Hebrews 9, 6 through 7, it keeps telling us more details. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle and performing the divine worship. They're the only ones that could do this. But into the second, only the high priest. See, now we're getting even more exclusive. Enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in Ignorance. So one guy going on our behalf to offer a sacrifice of praise, priest, high priest. And so there was a lot of work that had to happen in order for a sacrifice of praise to happen. So let's go back then to our verse and see what Jesus actually accomplished for us. So through him then. So it wasn't just through anyone, it was through Jesus. This is one of the things that makes Jesus unique. It makes him distinct that his death and his resurrection actually accomplished a lot of things. So through him then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So here's the third application for us 
today. You see, Jesus' sacrifice made it possible for you to worship God in spirit and truth through your sacrifice of praise. That's what Jesus accomplished. See, before Jesus went to the cross, individuals like us could not bring a sacrifice of praise to God. We could not approach God's throne with confidence. We couldn't bring a sacrifice of praise. See, you have to be born again to bring a sacrifice of praise to God. See, anybody can sing out to God. In fact, I hope you're here, some of you, and you have not yet made the decision to follow Jesus, and I hope you're singing to God. Because see, sometimes when you begin to sing to God about things you don't yet quite understand, God begins to work in your heart. The Holy Spirit starts to open up your heart to the goodness of God. And you begin to see with great clarity that God sent his son Jesus to die for you. So anybody can sing out to God, but only those who have been born again can offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And it's because of what Jesus did for us. Now look at this passage. This passage gets me fired up. I'm just gonna tell you all right now, this passage gets me fired up, okay? Look at what it tells us that Jesus accomplished for us. Again, picking it back up in chapter nine of Hebrews, verse 11. But when Jesus Christ appeared as a high priest, I mean, I could stop right there. We don't need a high priest anymore. He took care of that for us. He is our high priest. Of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? My goodness, that's good. That's good. That's good. I mean, when we talk about the blood of Christ, we talk about that it paid the price for our sin, that your sin is no longer held against you. Listen to me, your sin is no longer held against you. You can go commit whatever sin you want to today. God will not beat you up over your sin because he beat up his own son over your sin on the cross. Someone says, why is the cross so terrible. I mean, couldn't Jesus have just paid for our salvation by like fall, you know, dying in his sleep or being stabbed if there had to be bloodshed? I mean, why the brutality of the beatings and the whippings and the nails and hanging on the cross? Why does it have to be that ugly and that brutal and that devastating? Because it's a picture of what sin does in our life. And if you wanna know what sin does Look at the cross, and Jesus took all of that on himself, not because somebody overpowered him, not because he had a moment of weakness. He could have called 10,000 angels and they would have rescued him off that cross. He went there out of obedience to the Father and he did it for you. He went there. But see, Here's where it gets fun. Here's where the gospel gets fun. I mean, my goodness, the gospel gets fun. See, not only does it purchase our salvation, it gives us some other benefits as well. I mean, wouldn't it have been enough to just purchase our salvation so we could spend an eternity with God in heaven forever and not fear death in this earthly life? But see, God's so good that he says, I'm also gonna give you my Holy Spirit. 
He's gonna be your helper. You'll never be alone. God's so good, he says, I'm gonna give you some gifts that you don't even deserve. God's so good, he gives us each other. He didn't leave us to try to figure this thing out. He said, no, I'm gonna create a community of people called the church, and y'all can lean on each other and be there for one another. But see, then God also says, and then the implications of the gospel is every single one of my children can now come to me with their own sacrifice of praise. Unbelievable. None of that happens without Jesus shedding his blood. And he made it possible for each of us to bring our sacrifice of praise. And so we're gonna celebrate that with communion. You know, we always talk about communion and the salvation that was purchased on the cross of Jesus Christ, and rightly so. But maybe for today, we could also focus on some of the other benefits that we experience from the gospel, not the least of which is being able to bring our sacrifice of praise to God, our Heavenly Father. And so as we receive the bread today, we remember that Jesus willingly allowed his body to be broken in our place. And as we drink from the cup, we're reminded that it was through his blood that he entered into every single level of that tabernacle and doing so removed all of those levels and barriers and stipulations and made it possible for us to worship God. And so God, we say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to send your son to allow us to experience salvation but to also allow us to bring our sacrifice of praise. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's keep going. Fourth part. Through him then, let's continually offer up. So let's, let us. So there's a, there's a corporate component there. It's more than just one person. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So here's the application for us. Because of Jesus, sacrifices of praise can now be, and I know this is kind of long, so hang with me, continual rather than temporary, and from all of us rather than from one person on our behalf. Again, Hebrews 9, a lot of work, a lot of ritual, a lot of routine, particular days on the calendar. So this was not something that could happen continually. It happened at various set times, and there was one guy who was doing that for all of us. But see, because of what Jesus accomplished, it can now happen at any time. Like you can offer God your sacrifice of praise at any time. Your sacrifice of praise is the only thing God doesn't have right now. God's not a needy God. He's not in need of anything, but he loves to hear from his children. So look, we get to do this together. We, we get to be in this room together. We get to offer up a sacrifice of praise together. That's remarkable. But listen, don't miss the power in doing that individually on your own as well, okay? See, when we get together in here on Sundays, in many ways, it should be the culmination of what each of us have been doing individually throughout the week, and then when we leave here, we leave continuing to do what we just spent a few minutes doing together. But if you don't have the habit in your life of worshiping on your own, might I challenge you to begin to start doing that? You can offer your sacrifice of praise anytime. I mean, you can be driving around, listening to walking in the light in your car, right? And just belting it out at the top of your lungs. Come on. People in the you know, red lights are gonna look at you funny, but that's okay. 
It's not for them anyway. Don't worry about them, all right? They'll be fine. They'll be fine. But you, you, you offer your sacrifice of praise to God. Our boys are older now, so um, this doesn't apply anymore. But when they were little, and I mean like two, three years old, you know, most days um, we were just trying to keep them alive, if I can just be honest, okay? So... Uh, it's like, you know, I'm gonna grab a fork and stick it into the outlet. Like only a two-year-old, three-year-old boy. It's like, that's a great idea. Let's jump off the counter. All the wonderful things, right? Um, and so it's, 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 it's hard. If you've got little kids right now, it's hard. It's a hard season. Yes, they're cute in it, but it's hard, okay? It's hard. Now, when they get older, I hate to tell you, it just gets harder. But anyway, that neither here nor there, okay? I digress. When they were little, every now and then, uh, one of them would just crawl up in my lap, you know, two, three years old, and just for no reason at all. Sometimes they'd grab my face, you know, start tugging on my cheeks or whatever. And, and, and they would just look at me and in that sweet little two-year-old, three-year-old voice, they'd say, Daddy, I love you. They'd say, Daddy, I love you. And it wasn't because like I, it's Christmas morning and I just gave them a bunch of gifts or, you know, it was their birthday and they just, you know, gotten something from me. It, it was like in the middle of just a random afternoon where, they're playing in the floor and it's like something came over them and they just stopped and on their own, they just found me and crawled up in my lap and just said, Daddy, I love you. And then, you know, got, kind of got right back to playing. And, and can I tell you that like as their dad, like every time that happened, man, it just did something in my heart. It was special and I loved it. And it would have still been nice, but it would not have been the same if they had sent their mom. Like if they had found Morgan and said, hey, mom, will you go tell dad how much I love him? It would have still been saying that they love me, but it wouldn't have been the same because only Sam can bring that love. Only Jacob could bring that love. Only Henry could bring that love. And in some way, as God's children, he looks on the great living room floor of all of creation and he sees us going through the everyday the comings and goings of our life, and sometimes his children just stop, and for no particular reason at all, they just kind of climb up in his lap and say, God, I love you. God, I'm grateful for you. And in a way, God, our Heavenly Father, it speaks to his heart in ways we can't even begin to comprehend. And what I want you to know is that if you're a Christ follower, that if you've been born again, you have that opportunity and that opportunity hasn't always been available for God's people. That Jesus literally purchased that for us through the cross. And so if you're not offering your sacrifice of praise to God, can I encourage you to begin to do that? And, and you don't have to overcomplicate it. It doesn't have to be complex. You don't have to use a lot of church words. But you can bring your sacrifice of praise to God. And then the last part of this verse that I want us to see through him then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips. Love that phrase. The fruit of lips, praising his name. So here's our last application for today. We celebrate this not by agreeing with it, but by expressing it with our words, all right? So for some of us, some of you, you love to sing, you love to sing. It's not difficult for you to express this with the fruit of your lips. But for others of you, you love God's word. You love God. You love everything about what I'm talking about today. But in a moment of honesty, 
the, the, the response that that generates from you is usually a little bit more of an agreement rather than an expression. But see, that's not what the verse says. This verse says that we express this praise, this sacrifice of praise to the fruit of our lips. And so what that means specifically is that when singing's happening in church, you're actually not supposed to do this. Why are they singing the same verse again? We've sang that verse already. We're doing it again. Like, what's going on? Are we gonna do three songs this week or four songs this week before somebody gets up there to teach? That can happen. It's not that you're like anti-God. I mean, you're in church, but it's a lack of obedience for this particular verse. You just hadn't expressed it with your lips. So let me challenge some of y'all. You'll never be in an easier place to express it with your lips than New Hope Church, right? You know why? People here sing really loud. You know why that's good? Because you sing really bad, okay? <laughs> so it's key to be in a place that sings loud if you sing bad, okay? And in some supernatural way, if enough people who sing bad sing loud enough, it starts sounding good, right? <laughs> it's awesome. So you offer a sacrifice of praise through your Lips. Worship is not what we just do in our services before somebody comes out to teach. It's an opportunity to offer a sacrifice of praise. It's an opportunity for you to bring to God what nobody else can bring. And if you can't sing, that's the point. See, it takes great humility to offer a sacrifice of praise to God when you know you can't sing well. But at some point, I, mean, I want everybody who calls New Hope to get to a place where you're singing so loud that people three rows in front of you are like, do they not know they can't sing? <laughs> That's what I want us to go for, all right? And when we sing songs of response, that is not an opportunity to leave early. I know our parking lot's full. I know. I've read your emails. I know, okay? <laughs> But when we have a response song, that is your first opportunity to demonstrate obedience with what God has done in your heart during our time together. It's your first shot. I mean, if you miss five minutes, like you gain five more minutes of life outside this room but you lose the opportunity to have an encounter with a living God. That's your loss. That's your loss. So I'll own it. We'll keep working on that, all right? We're, we'll work on that. We're trying to do the best we can, and, and, and many of you help us so much with that. But listen, you're only in this room once a week. It's not for a lot of time. That time at the end of our services, I'm telling you right now, if you'll fully engage it, it can be an opportunity to experience a living God because you're bringing him your sacrifice of praise. And so I'm gonna invite our worship team to come out and we're gonna move into a time of response and we're gonna get crazy today because we're gonna do two songs, okay? We're gonna do one you're probably familiar with called Good, Good Father. And then we're gonna introduce you to a new song called You're Holy Forever, which gives us the opportunity 
to declare to God, to him, what is true about him. And hey, here's the thing. I want the roof to come off this place. I want the roof to come off this place. May it never be said of God's people that we get more excited about an athletic event, about something happening in our world, than actually coming before a holy and living God and worshiping him. And if we sing a few lines a few times over and over, that's what God wants. See, our God's a God of repetition. Did you know that right now there are some angels encircling his throne and here's what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy as the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They've been saying that for all time and they're never going to stop for all of eternity. God welcomes and receives our worship. He loves to hear us tell him who he is. And so I'm gonna invite you to stand. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna worship God with our sacrifice of praise. And so God, thank you that we even have the opportunity to do this because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. We boldly bring our sacrifice of praise. And God, as we bring our sacrifice of praise, fill this room with your presence, speak to your people, empower us with your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, amen.